Hello, everybody. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys about some observations, chatting with you in a podcast, and maybe actually chatting with you guys in person about these things. But also, feel free to make a comment or a private comment on Classroom. If you want to interact with me about any of these ideas, uh, you know that I'd love to chat with you about these things. So our first lesson was just on the Gospels, what they are. And so here we're jumping right in to the text in chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 in the Gospel of Luke. And I am not going to talk about every single verse, because in 20 minutes, that's impossible. And so you're not going to do a great job of that. So I want to just highlight certain verses and make some points. So that's, that's the game plan. Um, I want to start with verses five and six in chapter one, let me read them. And, and then we'll uh, make some observations. So it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Then it says in verse 7, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now, I think I'm told something about their spiritual condition. Because in those days, those who were righteous were viewed to be prosperous and that they would have kids. So I think that there tends to be right here a a bit of a a tension building in the text. I mean, they're righteous before God. They walk blamelessly um, in all the commandments and statutes, but they have no kids because Elizabeth was barren. Then we're told they're advanced in years. Does that ring a bell to anybody? I've got an old couple that um, are unable to have kids. So my guess is, if you're thinking about stories in the Bible, your brain has gone all the way back to the book of Genesis with Abraham and Sarah. Is that right? So in in Genesis, we we read um, that, that very issue, don't we? So, let's see. Um, yeah. So, well, it was probably, sorry, I didn't have that pulled up. So, is it 18? There we go. Uh, where is your wife, Sarah? Genesis 18. She's in the tent, and the Lord said, I'm going to return to you next time. That This time next year, your, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a son. And Sarah's laughing about this, right? And it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Sarah says. Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I I will return, the Lord says. And um, <laughs> she says, I didn't laugh. She said, because she was afraid. And then the Lord says, no, you, you actually, you, I, I caught you. You did laugh. So is anything too hard for the Lord? So I guess here's something I want to think about with you guys. Why? Why is Luke using an Old Testament couple to talk about a New Testament couple? So what's going on there? So, well, what what's significant about this Old Testament couple, Abraham and Sarah? Obviously, quite a bit. I mean, this these would be the grandparents of Israel, so to speak, right? Um, so, and this is the couple that God will covenant. He's going to covenant with Abraham that he's going to bring blessing to the world through, through Abraham. So in Genesis 12, God says that, um, he's going to make his name great and through him, there'll be a great nation and all peoples will be blessed through him. And we know that this happens because they end up having a kid. And it's not Ishmael, it's going to be Isaac that this covenant promise baton gets passed. So if I then take that info from the Old Testament and I map it onto Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, whoa, what's going on here? Is their kid going to be a significant kid in God's redemptive purposes? And is there some kind of covenant promise connection with what God said to Abraham and Sarah? So that's the kind of uh, technique that I would encourage you guys to have more when you read your Bible. So when you feel like you're experiencing some kind of deja vu moment in the Bible where you say, haven't I heard this before somewhere else? Your instincts probably are telling you that's correct. Uh, hunt that down and think about that story a little bit and what the parallels are, because the New Testament author is probably referring to that Old Testament um, story on purpose. So it, here's, here's what that allows. It allows the New Testament author to say a whole bunch in very few words. So, because I just unpacked all of that, um, but Luke didn't say any of that. He just said they're old and that Elizabeth is barren. And that's all we need for us to be able to head that way. So that's one thing to make note of. Here, here's a second thing that this tells me that for Luke in our gospel reading, and really for any of the other gospels, this will be true, that the story of the Old Testament is like this river, and there's a current that's been moving through. And as we get to the story of Jesus, I'm not at the beginning I'm at the middle 
of a river that's been flowing for some time. And so my job as a reader of Luke's gospel is to see how Luke is going to talk about how Jesus fits within that current of that narrative. So there you go. So those, those are just a few things for us to be thinking about as we're moving forward. Who is this kid that Zachariah and Elizabeth are going to have, and how does he relate to the covenant promises that God made in the Old Testament? Because most definitely he does. So there's one idea. Another idea that I, I want to consider is just the significance of the theme of the temple in Luke's gospel. So I learn in chapter one that Zechariah is hanging out at the temple, and that's right away at the beginning here. Guys, at the end of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24, no joke, I read that the disciples were at the temple praising God. That's how Luke ends his gospel. Okay, so I'm at the temple in the beginning, and I'm at the temple at the end. So clearly that tells me this is going to be a significant theme. And here's what's cool. The second book that Luke writes is volume two. It's the book of Acts, right? And of course, the book of Acts begins with the disciples receiving the Spirit of God. And what's really cool is there's this parallel between the, the disciples being the new temple of God, God's presence is now dwelling in them, and yet they're hanging out at the temple. So it's like a tale of two temples that's happening. What, what Jews thought, you know, with the, the temple building, and now this new covenant work of God, with the people of God being the temple, that's not going to be fixed to one geographic location, but as Acts 1.8 says, is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts will end with Paul in house arrest in Rome, which would be called the ends of the earth. And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so God's temple presence has moved even right under Caesar's nose, which is so cool. So whole bunch of stuff going on there. But the theme of God's temple presence will be something very significant that we'll want to be aware of as we're, as we're going through this. Um, and I would <clears throat> just have you... Um, here one passage. So let me read this real quick. In Luke 1, verse 15, it says, okay, ah, uh, yes, that um, John, uh, John the Baptist, Elizabeth and Zechariah are told by the angel that they're going to have a son to be named John. And he's going to be great. And he's not to drink wine or strong drink. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
That's a super big deal. He's going to be filled with God's temple presence, even from his mother's womb. And of course, we'll be looking at a parallel narrative of Jesus's birth story. And the angel shows up to Mary, right? We'll get there. And there's going to be temple presence talked about there, but at a whole other level. So the temple presence of God will be a significant theme that we'll see, and I just want to make note of it. Here's another thought. We are told by the angel uh, in in the the following couple passages. It says in verse 16 of, of chapter 1 that John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, sorry, for the Lord, a people prepared. So there's things that we're told about John the Baptist that are very significant. And one of them is that he will turn many of the children, he will turn the, their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He will make for the Lord a people prepared. And that language of turning the hearts is very significant language. The, the prophets actually talk a lot about how God is going to turn the hearts of the people. They need a heart change. And uh, let me let me jump to Ezekiel real quick, right? You were you were planning on that. You're like, I bet you. I bet you he's totally going to Ezekiel, right? So, well, very good. Ezekiel 36, uh, I'll start in verse 16. Ezekiel 36, verse 16. Off we go. Ezekiel says this, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with the ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, God says, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, says, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm going to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned, among the nations, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. And the nations are going to know that I'm the Lord. Uh, when I vindicate uh, through, through you, Israel, when I vindicate my holiness, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries. And I'll bring you into your own land. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And, and you shall be clean from all your un uncleanness and from all your idols. I'm going to cleanse you. Okay, here it is. Money verse right here. I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I'm going to put in you. I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, and I will put my spirit within you. And I'm going to cause you to walk into my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then you're going to dwell in the land I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So do you see the language of exile and return? So <clears throat> turning the hearts of the people, preparing for the Lord, is language in the prophets that relates to God bringing his people out of exile. And that's the the way that people would hear what Luke is saying here, that this John is going to be one who is going to be preparing the people to return from exile. And it's strange because you would think, haven't they already come back? But that's not the case. They've actually never really come back. So that's significant, and we're going to want to track that. That's going to be a major theme in our study. One more real quick as we wrap up. I just want to jump to verse 25. So let me go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 25. All right. Here it says, um, as Elizabeth is processing all of this, it says, um, she says, thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That actually sounds incredibly like something that Rachel says in the book of Genesis. Let me turn there real quick, and I want to show you guys something. So, verse chapter 30, verse 23, notice what Rachel says. She says, uh, it says, She conceived and bore a son, and says, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. So Rachel has a son. She was not able to have a son. And the Lord opened her womb. And her son is Joseph. And my guess is there's all sorts of significant connections going on here that I don't have time to unpack. The one thing I do want to highlight is... Both Rachel and Elizabeth find themselves in a similar situation where they're struggling to have a kid. And, and that actually is a very common thing, especially in Genesis. Lots of women find themselves in that predicament of being, of being barren. And what Luke is going to do is he's going to use that as one major theme in his gospel where he's going to show how God elevates the lowly and the brokenhearted. So you'll, you'll see that come up quite a bit in our study uh, with um, the way Elizabeth is going to speak uh, in a little bit, the way Mary is going to speak. And so <clears throat> the, the kingdom of God that we are going to be talking about for quite some time now is going to be a kingdom where God highlights the significance of those that this world says aren't significant. The values and ethics of the kingdom of God are going to be upside down from the values uh, of this world. 
And we'll see that highlighted, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount. The blessed are the poor um, in spirit. We'll, we'll talk ab- about all that. But the kingdom of God is, is going to be arriving. And it's just going to flip everything upside down. And what is happening here with this birth narrative, with this John kid who's going to be here? And, and why is he significant? And who's he going to be pointing to? So we're kicking things off. We're getting some reading strategies, and I look forward to talking more with you guys about the Gospel of Luke and how it all is going to point to the glory of our King.